Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. What a day, right? Wow. Beautiful weather we've had these last couple of days. And as the scripture says, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we are. And we're here to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, to enjoy each other's company, to revel in the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, and to enjoy him forever. That's, that's a blessing from God. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sunlight. It's just so beautiful. Oregon just does that. I know for me personally, and I think we could all echo that, that amazing thing that we see when we look around us, the beauty of your creation, Lord. And we thank you for the time right now that we have come to worship you. We've come to glorify your name. We've come to you to draw near to you and to experience your presence in freshness and new ways. Thank you, God, for communion that we share together with Jesus as a body that belongs to you. Lord, may everything we do give you glory and praise. May our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes be shaped and informed by your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, that our worship, our service, every day of our lives, every time we get up, Lord, every day is committed to you for your glory, with love in our hearts, spilling over to others. For your name's sake, we pray that this church and all the churches, all the house churches, all the small groups will grow as your Holy Spirit moves people to receive and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Let's sing. Let's celebrate and worship the Lord. Yes, yeah. 
morning we just want to take a minute to remember you and to sit at your feet and to enjoy your presence Lord thank you father In Jesus name I'm caught up in your presence
Heavenly Father, Lord, it is a real treat, a pleasure to remember that really you are the center point of our lives and the ministries. Lord God, we come in this morning to your house with various experiences this week, various feelings and thoughts and attitudes, hurts and joys. And God, you hug us close. You're our Father. You made us, you know every hair on our head, you know every thought, everything that even we don't realize about ourselves and our relationships with each other. But Lord, help us never to forget that our relationship with you is founded on your grace, that you're the means of our salvation, that we don't save ourselves. It's a gift that you have given to us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be born from above, to have the living Holy Spirit in us, is such a blessing. And Lord, we don't seek it. We don't need to keep it. It's your gift given to us by your wonderful, loving grace and mercy. And so, God, we owe you everything. All of our thanks and our praise and our service and our worship. Lord, sometimes we get a little sleepy. Sometimes we can go through the motions. Sometimes our, our brains, our feelings take us into the world and the world obsesses in our hearts lord forgive us we thank you god that no matter what each day brings or has brought we are declared righteous by you we are declared forgiven by you by what christ has done on the cross taking all that upon himself lord god what a gift how much love we can't even begin to imagine but we Really appreciate it so much, and we love you, Lord. Help us to live for Christ day by day. Wake us up if we've been sleepy. Energize us. Revitalize us. Revive us if we've fallen asleep. Help us, Lord God, to rise each day in service to your name with eyes and ears open to the leading of your Holy Spirit and to live out the truth of your word for your glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'd like to invite us to read the Apostles' Creed together. For those that aren't familiar with this, it was a compilation over quite a, a period of time, uh, many centuries ago, uh, where the churches collaboratively worked together to come up with an encapsulation of some of the more uh, critical elements of our faith's beliefs. It doesn't encompass everything, but it is a uh, really good synopsis of the more important things. So I invite us all to read this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise the Lord. What good words and what a great blessing and comfort it is. Uh, the Sunday school teachers are waiting for you, and Gabe is here for middle high schoolers, so good to see you. Uh, if you're middle high schoolers, follow the orange cap bouncing through here. So good to see you, Gabe. Rachel, too. Isabel. For those of us that are remaining in the sanctuary while there's some hubbub going on here, I just have a couple of quick announcements. There are new telephone directories for those that didn't pick it up uh, last week in the back there. They're a light blue color, and they're really a, a giant help. Uh, we've also, Jenny and I have undertaken a task to take head and shoulders pictures, or if you have head and shoulders pictures, you can email them as an attachment or send them to Jenny or myself. What we want to do is do an informal uh, not a directory in its totality, but a name with a face. And we'll keep that in the office and maybe in the library. So if you're here this morning and you're looking around and you say to yourself, I've seen them multiple weeks in a row and I still don't know who they are. Or they told you last week and now you're mortified because you can't remember. Well, welcome to the club. So that's hard, isn't it? Unless you're a teacher and you're used to it, it's not how our brains are wired sometimes. So we thought it'd be really handy for those that want to participate is to have the head and shoulders pictures taken and, and put in the office in that sheet so that somebody can flip through there looking for that person and find a name to go with you. And then that'll help them maybe contact you or relate next time more effectively uh, and to get to know each other better. Uh, we'll probably start that off next Sunday. Next Sunday is our dessert potluck after church. We're going to be in what we call districts. Uh, there are 10 of them. Uh, those that are in our phone book can find a number next to their name. That's the district that you're in. Why do you have a district? Well, it's there so that you know who your elder and deacon are, and they'll know who you are, and they'll be mind you'll be mindful of each other, praying for each other, connecting with each other, and it's a, an entryway into the life of the church. If you don't know who to talk to, they can help you, and I'm always there as well. I'm even in a district. I'm in number four. So I will next Sunday sit in district number four with my elder and my deacon and the others in my district and you'll have your numbers now if you're not in the phone book or you, you you don't have a number pick a table we're nice we're welcoming we're loving we would love it if you just stopped sat down and enjoyed each other's company that's who we are and so everybody's invited and uh, if you don't have a, a number or district and you want to be a part of that group then jump in anywhere you want and we'll be glad to include you. We really want to do that. Uh, so bring a dessert to share uh, next Sunday, and we'll all grow fat together, as that sounds. Um, and, and enjoyably so, right? I mean, we'll have a good time. So that's a great bit. Um, also, let's see, commissions. Last, the biggest note here today is it's happening after worship at 11.45. If those that would like to participate in the uh, life of the church, the ministries of the church, we're not talking about someone who's got their favorite flavor and want to push it through and have their own agenda. We're talking about a cooperative ministry adventure together. And we have five different commissions from missions to the buildings and grounds to uh, Christian education, fellowship, which is usually around food. So if you're a foodie, this is your group. Um, and and uh, all just different, different things like that that go on. Anyway, if you start off in the fireside room, which is the first big room on the left, we're going to start there at 1145. And then we'll, we'll, I don't know, this, 
Anytime you change something, put chaos with that, okay? Chaos, change, change, chaos, it's going to be crazy. So if, if we get, and I hope we get more participation than we would on a Monday night, that's why we're experimenting. Uh, stick around, 11.45, we'll start there, we'll figure out how many people want to be in what commission based on your own interests, and I can help you figure that out. Uh, then we'll figure out where the rooms will be that will be used. And I've got some sandwiches from Costco, I've got some roll-ups, I've got some of the flatter ones. We've also got gluten-free bread for those that really have no taste buds anymore, but I'll probably be there. Uh, peanut butter and jelly, um, apples and peanut butter. We, we're trying to accommodate your needs. It's not there to give you a feast, but it's there to hold off the wolf until later on you can get something more substantial to eat. But uh, we'll have that for those that want to stay, and we hope that you will. And then don't forget the Kairos course, which is helping us discover our mission and our purpose from God where we are. Uh, that's coming up April 22nd. It has a maximum list of 20. So if you want to be a part of that, it's a great opportunity. You'll learn a lot. You'll grow a lot. You'll discover a lot about yourself and your walk with God a lot. So um, I think, are there any other announcements? If you're interested in Kairos, by the way, I believe there's still some orange sheets in the back. Or Brenda, maybe you can stand up and wave and sort of, that's the person you want to contact. All right, thank you. By the way, Presbytery was uh, last Friday and Saturday up in Woodland. It went very well. Uh, some of my favorite takeaways was one minister who said to his mother who was on her deathbed, Mom, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push you out of the way and rush to Jesus. <laughs> and I said that to my grandmother too, he said. And we all kind of laughed, you know. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about looking forward to meeting our Creator and to spend eternity with our Lord. And we'll all be there as best friends together brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to be exciting. So um, good, good things happen. I won't go into all the details, but for now, uh, the sermon this morning is a little bit shorter. I looked at the entirety of verses 11 to 14 in chapter 13 as we close out chapter 13, and it was just too long uh, as, as I would work through it, and if you know me, you know it would be too long. So I cut it in half. So we're going to look at the first part this morning, which is a little bit shorter, and then next Sunday we'll conclude with the, the last part of verse 12 through verse 14 and wrap up chapter 13. So I'll read uh, verses 11 through 14 for us this morning, but we'll only be focusing on the first little bits. And I titled it, It's Time to Wake Up, Part 1. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Heavenly Father, may these words now truly find their place, your place in our hearts and minds. Renew our spirit, Lord. Renew our thoughts. Wake us up, we pray, that we will truly be alert to your Holy Spirit's leading and truly with great faith and great hope and steadfastness Lord, look forward with assurance that Christ is coming. And we have a mission to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever been in the military? 
How many of us are veterans? I'm a veteran, Army. Good. Um, when I was in the Air Force ROTC, I wanted to be a pilot originally, and my eyesight failed me on that, so I couldn't become a pilot, praise the Lord, in the long run, although I, I love to fly. But in that ROTC summer camp, I got to hear the Air Force theme song every morning, praise the Lord, <laughs> right? Some of you heard bugles, and others just, maybe the sergeant came through, rattled your cages, and said, hey, get up, you guys, whatever it was. But there was an alarming moment where you got up, right? How many of you have ever woken up to an alarm you didn't intend to set? Oh, I wish I'd have turned that off. It's shocking, right? Like, ah! This is, in a similar way, Paul's expression for us. It's not written in a bunch of imperatives, do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, as a command. It's more of, a, of an encouragement, an informative piece. Do you know what time it is? Are you awake? Or are you sleepwalking through your faith in Jesus and living out each day as sort of a semi-conscious believer in Jesus, sort of aware of the Lord each and every moment, or distantly glimpsing now and then memories of the word that you've heard, the scriptures that you've read? Paul is giving us a wake-up call, and myself included. I'm not saying I'm Superman. I mean, sometimes I get sleepy, too, and can sleepwalk through all kinds of things, but I don't want to. How many of us find out that we kind of dial into the praise songs that we're singing to the Lord, which are prayers in musical form, with our hearts and minds involved? How many of us discover that after one or two praise songs, we realize we've been sleepwalking? You know, beautiful music, wonderful words, meaningful words, we know it, but how many of us are actually recognizing that we're talking to God? in that moment. That's why we don't just do one and done. We want to sing for a while because it takes a while for our brains to get on board and our spirits to get on board and our hearts to join, sometimes. In fact, it's, I will just say this, it's not part of the, the sermon this morning, but I would say this, please come to worship ready to worship. I know it's difficult, especially if you've got kids. The biggest arguments are probably prior to and on the way to church with families. We were praying for our own daughter, who's the Sunday school superintendent at her church with three kids, and her husband's not coming home until later on today. She's got to get three kids under seven years old ready for church, be there early, and get her job done. I'm sure it's a very pleasant, easygoing, calm morning. <laughs> you know, One pastor at the Presbytery meeting said when he greeted people at the front door, people found that that was a wonderful opportunity to unload their favorite criticism. So he called it the slime hour. And he said he got slimed on many Sundays. And then he would stand before the congregation and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it with this invisible slime all over him. Wake up. Don't fall asleep. Don't sleep. Walk. Worship is for the Lord. It's to the Lord. And sometimes we can go through worship. We can do church, but we're not engaged. And I can do that too. Do you know how many things I have to keep track of? Sometimes I get last minute notes. You leave your lights on in the parking lot, I'll find out about it. Praise the Lord. And, and my head can get over here and my spiritual head can get over here and God wants me to come together and I find that one of my tasks in worship is to get my head and my heart and my spirit aligned. And sometimes it's not easy. How about you? Paul says, do you know 
what time it is. And we're not, we're not talking here 10 o'clock. Do you know what time it is? Are we awake? That's what Paul is challenging us to think about. It's easy to go with the flow with morality in the world around us that culture is constantly shifting and trying to shape into its own mold, its own image. We see that. It's easy to live your life without thinking about whether or not you're awake for Christ or sleepy. You may not even know. I may be oblivious. It's easy to appreciate your salvation but not walk in step with the Spirit. We can be really grateful to the fact that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus did, in fact, was born, lived, died on the cross, buried, raised from the grave, coming back. We can appreciate all that to the depths of our being, but not live like that. And Paul says, well, wake up. Wake up. Paul's conclusion here is what he began in Romans 12, in the very first few verses. I'll just remind us. Therefore, he said, I urge you, brothers, which is the familial family, we're always family, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, set aside for God's service and worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, that external coercive pressure of morality that's always changing around us, but be transformed internally by the renewing of your mind, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So for a sleep, it means we're allowing the world to impact our perceptions of ethics, ethics from the Lord. And we don't want to do that. It's like being comfortable in your pajamas all day long. We just don't quite get going, and we don't want to do that. If we're awake... Our brains are being renewed in the Word every day. We're thinking about the Lord. We're praying when our feet hit the ground in the morning. Lord, this is the day you have made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it, and let me serve you. Let this day be yours. Keeping my eyes open. The interesting thing about this stay awake is not talking about our salvation. Salvation is a one and done. It's a moment in our lives, a, like a lightning strike, where we wake up and realize that Christ by God's grace, has saved us. And we realize it, and we get it, and it becomes part of our very being, and we know it. What Paul is saying here is that you can be saved and be sound asleep on your feet. He's talking about living out our love for God and our love for our neighbor. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So the first part of the sermon here in part two next week, this is about recognizing what time it is and why we would be motivated to care. And the second part is the practical application of knowing what time it is and caring what time it is that we would do something with this. And that's what's uh, coming up next Sunday. I'll touch a little bit on that because it's impossible to really separate them entirely. But the focus is what time is it and why would we be moved in the time that we're in? So the first point, really the main point, you can almost say the only point, is to keep in mind the time. Keep in mind the time. Let's look again at that early bit of verses 11 to 12. Uh, and do this, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now 
than it was when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. At Bible study the other week that I was a part of, uh, somebody was sharing with us about a family member who at work, a uh, brand new job, doing an internship, residency, uh, the, the boss of the company explained how they were supposed to do things in a fire hose fashion. Just basically gushed all the instructions out, and I think it must have been pretty overwhelming. Because when they went back to where they were working, they had really a hard time putting all the puzzle pieces together, and so they went back to the boss and they said, could you explain to me exactly now how you want me to do this? And the person's reply was, I already told you, I'm not going to explain it again. So then they went to a coworker who was maybe more timid than they were, and they asked them how they were doing it, and they said, I don't know how to do it either. Then they found another coworker, and the coworker said, oh, I'll, I know what to do. I will help you understand what to do, and I'll guide you through it. And that saved the day. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we may assume we know what we're reading and what we're talking about, but it's vague, really. Or we misunderstand what we're being told. And so as a pastor in a sermon, you want to be able to bring clarity to it and not just fire hose it and glance through everything and assume that we all get it. So pardon me if I want to back up a little bit and explain just a few key phrases that will bring clarity to this and help us apply it in our lives. There are two things that I want to look at. One is Paul starts off with, do this. Do this. But do what exactly? And the second thing was understanding the time. What time is that? Some of those things need to be clarified a little bit. Otherwise, we may think we know what we're supposed to do, but we misunderstand it and we don't get it right. And we're left with some confusion. And we don't want to do that. So what is he saying with do this? Well, there are two thoughts about what Paul's referring to about this. It's, and they're both right. Now, you might think, well, then who cares? Well, it, it does matter because the first is more of a generic sense of things. In the last Sunday's sermon, it was the immediate context for this. Just prior to this, Paul was talking about how love fulfills the law. Love covers everything. We want to love our neighbor. We want to love God. We got that. Paul says, now do this. The other thought is that Paul is referring to everything he's written, because he's, he's really concluding what he's written since the beginning of chapter 12 here. This might be the bookend for what he started in chapter 12, verse 1. So what did Paul include to this point in Romans? Now, if you've been following along in the Romans series... I've been preaching, this is probably in the 30s or 40s in terms of numbers of sermons through Romans. I was talking to somebody else whose pastor went through Romans in three years. So I'm, I'm really skating through this quick. But there's a lot there, and I want to just reiterate what this might refer to if it goes clear back to 12 verse 1. But remember that this as well. Everything I'm going to read here as a summary of what he's taught is all rooted in love. So whether or not you're just looking at the preceding few verses about love God, love neighbor, that's great. Or you want to be more specific, you want to look at examples of what that is, now we're going to go back to the first verse. So let's, I'll just reiterate for you what's been going on since the start of chapter 12. 
I might miss a few things, but as I was leafing through it, getting ready for this sermon, these are the things that I've pulled out. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Those are actually spiritual acts of worship. We don't let the world's changing morals pressure us into conformity with it. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is transforming or metamorphosizing our minds and our spirits. We humbly serve the Lord together in a local church with the gifts and the talents God gave each one of us for the common good of the body, not ourselves individually. So we're in service. We cherish and we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ with clarity, simplicity, and totality. We genuinely honor, which means to appreciate, to thank, to uplift, to care for our brothers and sisters in Jesus without self-seeking return. You'll do it for its own sake, for their good, God's good. We enthusiastically serve the Lord. We remain joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We share resources with other Christians in need. We offer hospitality to Christians traveling away from home. And, <coughs> and by the way, a missionary couple will be here in June, and they need to see if somebody's got an extra car available. If you want to put Romans into practice and you've got an extra car available, uh, let us know. June is coming. We find something good to say about those who persecute us. In other words, we eulogize them. We do not curse them. We find something positive even in the midst of negatives. We show empathy for others. If they're hurt and wounded and mourning, we join them. If they're rejoicing and glad and happy, we celebrate with them. We're empathetic. We care and are committed to each other. We relate to everyone in Christ without favoritism or selfish interests. We don't have a holy inner circle that excludes. We include. We never repay evil for evil, but overcome evil only with good. We seek peace with everyone as best we can without sinning. We never seek revenge. We trust God to avenge us. And that might even be through governmental means. For the Lord's sake, we obey the government unless the government demands that we sin. We show honor and respect for all civil authorities, again, without sinning. We always pay taxes and revenues fairly. We reliably pay off our financial debts. We love others by doing God's best for them, a never-ending debt of love. So when Paul says, do this, we could encapsulate it and just say, love God and love your neighbor. And that really is the core of it, isn't it? That's the aim of a Christian's life. But if you wanted to give living examples, challenges, uh, maybe even heighten the awareness, maybe we're sleepy about what does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to love God? And we're kind of asleep at the switch. All these things that Paul mentioned in these chapters is a wake-up for us. How am I doing? Where is my heart? What am I thinking? What am I willing to do? And why would I be willing to do it? Comes from knowing God first and foremost, and then it comes from an understanding of what love does and what it really is. Now, if you think that that's a long list of to-dos and you want to pull the covers over your head and just go back to sleep, I understand that. 
And you may also feel a little bit inadequate. You may find yourself feeling maybe guilty. Um, at Presbytery meeting, when you hear other pastors talk about what their churches are doing, I sit there in my chair and I go, yeah, why haven't I done that? Yeah, we could do that. Or maybe I'm a little sleepy and I need to wake up and get a kick in the pants and do something different. Wow, how come we didn't think of that? And then you go home feeling kind of guilty and inadequate. And that is not the purpose of Presbytery. But then I thought to myself, but if I stood up and I shared what we're doing here, you know what's going to happen on the other end if they're not careful? They'll be sitting there thinking the same thing I was thinking. The key piece is, what is the Lord calling us to do? But more importantly, what does God want us to be? At the meeting uh, the other day, they had a man come out. He's, he's in Alabama. He's a pastor at a church. He's writing about uh, our, how our emotions are part of our an important part of our being. God gave us those emotions, and we shouldn't bottle them up and stuff them down. And sometimes our emotions can trouble us and give us some, some problems. But one of the things he said from a ministerial point, a pastor's point of view, and this would apply to all of us, was that sometimes we get anxious about the growth, the Christian growth, amongst our congregants. And so ministers can get a little anxious about that and come across with pounding the pulpit and really pushing it home, and everybody goes home with their heads down, or like, oh, i got to do better, and you're dragging your feet. And, and it's just an anxiety-laden thing, forgetting how does transformation happen. I can't transform you. I'm just a messenger. What do I need to rely on? The Holy Spirit transforms me, the truth of his word goes to work to the very marrow of my bones, right? I trust that that's the case for all of you. And so let's take it now to your place where you're at right now, and you look in the mirror, and there's some anxiety in your soul. I'm not where I should be. I'm not getting there fast enough. I'm still struggling with my Christian walk. I'm not awake. I've fallen asleep. I'm sleepwalking. There's something wrong with me. I want to encourage you that that's true for all of us on some level and that we need to trust that the Holy Spirit's at work and allow ourselves to be woken up. If the Holy Spirit's putting something on your mind, like this could be better or you could be doing this or maybe you just need to be quiet and have some quiet time with God, refresh your soul, read a psalm, do something that feeds you, don't think of anybody else. That may be just your moment. To, like the song said, just take me back to that place where we started. Help me remember the joy of my salvation. The grace that you've given me is never going to let me go. Sometimes we just need to go back to our roots and not be busy. What time is it? None of us needs to carry a load of guilt. The cross of Christ lifts that off. None of us needs to live anxious thinking we'll never make it. God will never be satisfied with me. I'll never be good enough. I'll never get to heaven, stand before God without the weight of my sin chasing me. The truth is, there is no sin chasing you. It's been lifted by the grace of God, by what Christ has done for us. We learn from our mistakes. We probably don't forget those errors, those sins in our lives. 
transgressions when we knew better and we did it anyway, iniquities where we didn't like what we heard and we twisted it to our own advantage or our own purposes, sins in general, things we didn't even know we did or thought or felt. We just, just kind of came and went and we weren't even aware of it. We were asleep. God sees it all. But all of that's lifted off by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What time is it? What are we supposed to do? First and foremost, rest and enjoy who you are in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. We're not human doings, we're human beings, right? Who just do things as a consequence. If we don't get the being solidly right by the grace of God, then all the doing is just duty and stuff and we'll all fall short and we feel bad. Go back to who you are. Who are you? I am who I am in Jesus Christ. What's my true identity? I am who I am in Jesus Christ. Thank God. That's a wonderful place to be. So do this. I don't want us to go home and work on being a human doing. I want us first and foremost to make sure we're human beings. Alive in Jesus Christ. So, do this. We certainly do want to do this. But remember, first and foremost, who you are. Second of all, understanding the present time. Understanding the present time. As an American in a culture that is, lives by the clock, we immediately think of the hour hand, the minute hand, the second hand. What time is it? I've got a wristwatch. I've got a clock on my wall in the office. All the computers I have... This tablet tells me what time it is. It's 10.50 a.m., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chronological, linear time. Time marches on. We're very aware of that, clocking in and clocking out. The Roman Christians knew what time it was. We may not. There are two words that we need to be familiar with. One is chronos or chronological, and that's the one we're probably thinking of. And then there's kairos time. Um, kairos time means God time, God activity time. I've got an illustration here on my wristwatch. It's almost a distraction. On my wristwatch, I've got, uh, oops, I better dial in. I haven't done that. I've got Snoopy grabbing his bowl away from the little bird. And in, every time I go like this, Snoopy falls asleep. He's now asleep on his doghouse. But then when I go like that, what's he doing now? Now he's got his baker's hat on. And he's smiling at me. Now, it does have an hour hand, a minute hand, and a second hand. I've got both Kronos and Kairos on my watch. Kronos are the hands of the hour and the minute and the second. What Snoopy's doing is Kairos time. It's Snoopy time. Snoopy's doing stuff. He doesn't care what literal time it is on my watch. He's just doing what Snoopy's doing. So let's see what Snoopy's going to do now. Now, he's sitting there and he goes, arf, and all the birds explode off the minute hand and land behind him. You can be very distracted and forget what time it is. And that's why Jenny, I think, and Jenny's got it on hers too, and I think she took it off for a while because she found herself looking at her watch too much. Like, oh, what's he doing now? Now he's sitting at a, a student's desk learning, as we are. Okay, here's the illustration. Kairos time is like Snoopy time. 
When Paul says, do you know what time it is? Well, sure you do. You know what time it is. It's God time. It's Snoopy time. What is God doing is what he's saying. You know what God is doing. What's the reference to what God is doing? Your salvation is closer now than it ever has been. Reference to the return of Christ. That's Snoopy time. So when Paul writes about understanding the present time, what he's saying is, do you understand what God is doing right now? Even in the hour that we're in, don't worry about the chronos, don't worry about the watch and the hands. Think about what Snoopy's doing and enjoy it. Be late for your meeting. Snoopy's having a great time. God is doing stuff. That's where we watch. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're enjoying. Kairos, God time. So Paul says, look, do this because you understand what time it is. It's God's time. Is the future of the church, the body of Christ, not the buildings. We're talking about the gathering of God's people. Is the gathering of God's people assured? Oh, absolutely, it's Kairos time. God's at work. God's doing stuff. There's no shakiness in heaven. We have confidence in God because it's God's time. And we don't worry about the chronos time. We know that we're living in an era before the return of Christ where God is, in fact, at work. And Paul says, knowing that, shouldn't we be alert and awake like I enjoy watching Snoopy. What's he doing now? He's blowing bubbles, laying on his back, sitting on top of his doghouse, and it's splattered all over the front of his face. That is entertaining. What is God doing? Do we enjoy what God is doing? Are we looking for what God is doing? Are we filled with the image and the movement and the presence of what God is doing? What is God doing in your life? What is God doing in the midst of the churches? Where is God at work? We're looking for kairos. We're looking for that activity of God. And Paul says, if you keep that in mind, you'll stay awake. There's the motivation. If we think that God has fallen asleep, if we think that God is not at work, if we only see the days and the seasons go by and we don't recognize the hand of God and all of that, then we too will go to sleep and we will lose hope. There's a bit of a parallel passage from 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. Boom, there it is, flash of lightning, just like that. Jesus is back. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Praise the Lord. We belong to Jesus. So what is God time bringing? The sudden return of Jesus Christ. The fullness of our salvation, the final judgment. As he said, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Well, how soon is that going to happen? Well, a lot of folks are pretty wound up on how imminent it feels. 
I do not think we're the only generation that has felt the imminent nature of historical circumstances and the potential return of Jesus. But if you look at some of the language, the return of Christ is not tied to the anxiety level of society. In fact, many times it says they're still getting married, they're having a jolly old time, they're partying and living it up, they'll feel that tomorrow will be just like today, and in the midst of normalcy, boom, Christ shows up. And there will be signs and symptoms and all that. Jesus told us, the scriptures are very clear, but there could be a complacency, a sleepiness, a casualness that doesn't even expect Christ to return. But the Bible talks about that frequently throughout the entirety of Scripture. The hour has come, he says. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer than it ever has been. Now, some people think, boy, it's been 2,000 years. When is the church going to give up? Well, that's an old, it's a, it's a false debate topic. It's like the test of time argument. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. But some people get impatient. They were impatient in the first century. 2,000 years later, what we can tell others, we're 2,000 years closer to the return of Christ than we've ever been before. And if, and if I die tomorrow, I'll be so close to Jesus that I'm only 24 hours away. You know what I mean? It's, it's the certainty of seeing Jesus face to face that gets us up and gets us moving, that motivates us to stay awake and to serve the Lord with our lives. Second uh, Peter 3.8 reminds us, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. It's like Snoopy on my watch. It doesn't matter really what time it is. Snoopy is doing Snoopy's thing. And a thousand years are like a day. We're living in God time. And that is where we are to keep our minds and our spirits. So where are we at in chronological time for a minute? Well, we're in between two things, the Bible says. We're in the dawn. Paul says we're in the beginning of the day, where the dawn is just creeping over the horizon. The promise of the full light of day is there, but not arrived. That's where we're at. So we live with the anticipation that, yes, the sun's going to come up. How many of us wake up, see a sunrise, and think, oh, it's going to go back down? doesn't happen. It doesn't, because it's a no-brainer. Of course it's going to come up, unless you live in Alaska in some places, and it never seems to come up. But here we see that the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's go back to how Paul started chapter 12. Do not conform to this world. Do you know the word world doesn't mean planet or culture? It means age. Don't conform to the age we're in. This is temporary stuff. This is the dark world that Christ came to save, full of sin and self-centeredness and self-service. Christ came to save us out of that darkness. So he says, don't conform to this age, this period of time, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need to think correctly that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The dark age that the world has been in is nearly over. That sin and death will find their conclusion, and we're closer now than we've ever been. 
And what's coming is an age of joy and love and eternal life. The dawn, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the dawn. The light has shined. And the full light of day is coming. And that gives us every reason to hope. And I find that very encouraging. You know, you can get wound up on your favorite podcast, newscaster, TV channel. Some people watch that newscast. Some people watch that newscast. They all have a take on things. Some of them, you can even find some Christians that are explaining uh, world events in a context of Scripture. Those are the best ones. At least better than some other choices. Because to have a renewed mind's Minds means we need to think like God thinks and have God's thoughts and will at work. And we need to be mindful of the scriptures and what we do know. The world isn't going to end by somebody pushing a button and accidentally everything's wiped out. God knows what's going on. God knows that in the timeline that we're in, the darkness is fading away, but it's not gone. There will be dark times, dark events, experiences that we are going to have. We've had, and we're going to have. But the light has dawned, and what's our job? The world doesn't know what time it is. The world doesn't know what to do. We do. And so Paul says, live it out for the world's sake, for God's glory. They need us. So if we've been sleepwalking, we need to wake up and live for Jesus. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace means holistic and complete and total peace. In this world you'll have trouble. Rats. Crumb. Darn, whatever. It's, it's dark. I get it. Even me, there's darkness in me. I'm a sinner. So are you. But the light is dawned. Praise God. But take heart, he said. I've overcome the world. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 5.14, Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christian church, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just got a little video clip um, just prefacing this. We were at home getting ready for breakfast. It was a dark gray start to the day, and God surprised us both with an amazing sunrise, and Jenny was, we were so excited, she runs out there with her camera and took a picture of it. I wish the colors were as vivid as they were that morning, but it just popped, and I wanted you to see it. It's so pretty. All the clouds were tinged with pink and all the colors. I mean, it was mind-boggling. You know, we, we didn't expect to have such a glorious sunrise. And then the sun followed. And what Paul is saying is, we have got an amazing, glorious sunrise. Jesus. And he's coming back. And the full light of day is just inches away. Do you believe it? And if you believe it, then there's no reason to despair and live in the dark and live by their morals, but to live for the Lord because today is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. God's at work. Snoopy's running around. God's running around. Let's live into it. Let's watch for it. Let's enjoy. And when we wake up, we're going to get up. We're going to armor up, which is what we're looking at next Sunday. And we're going to get out and we're going to get going. And we know why. 
Our salvation is nearer now than it has ever been before. The return of Christ is nearer now than it ever has been before. The dawn has come, the light of day, the full light of day is just around the corner. Paul says, wake up. You know what time it is, wake up. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that we are who we are in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that the call for all of us, myself included, is to stay awake when we get sleepy, to remind ourselves that you are coming soon. We don't know when, and we might meet you sooner than you come back, but, Lord, to be with you is what certainty is all about. You give us that promise, and you always fulfill your promises. Help us with courage and boldness to live in the midst of the departing darkness and to celebrate the dawn and the anticipation of the full light of day when Christ returns. We're thankful, God, that we are your people. Help us to remind ourselves that we are human beings first and foremost, that you love very, very much, that Christ died to set us free, give us life, and fill our hearts with hope, meaning, and purpose, and community that we share and enjoy today. May everything, our thoughts, our attitudes, be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit, and may our bodies then live it out. Thank you, Father, for waking us up this morning. Thank you, Father, that thinking about the return of Jesus will keep us awake. Thank you, Lord, that even when we forget, even when we're walking, sleepwalking, or just sound asleep with the covers pulled over our head spiritually, Father, thank you that we are still forgiven by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We are your children. And for anybody here this morning that would like to say, yes, I'm, I love the dawn. I, I get it. The dawn has suddenly appeared to me this morning spiritually. I, I find Jesus real to me now. And I get it. And God has just opened up my eyes and the light has shined. I just tell God, thank you so much for revealing Jesus to me in a way that prior to today I hadn't really appreciated Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit's work that now I know that Christ did, in fact, die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. That you now say I am right with you, and that is a gift. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Father, for being patient with me. Help me now to grow. Grow in Christ by the power of your Spirit at work in me. And then, Lord, let me to live it out as you help me to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that uh, Christ was with his disciples in the upper room, it was Passover, and they were celebrating what the disciples were anticipating would be a normal Passover service. The gift of life that we have in Jesus was expressed. A new covenant, he said, after giving thanks to the Father, he broke that bread. He said, this is my body, broken or given for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. He gave himself for our sakes that we could live. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this is a new covenant. There are seven covenants in the Bible, only one of which guarantees our salvation, and this is the one that does. He said, this is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. His blood poured out on the cross means he died. 
and that is something that none of us look forward to. If that was the end of the story, then we wouldn't come back next Sunday. However, he said, this is a new covenant that I have guaranteed in a relationship with you that when you drink this cup, you remember what I've done for you in faith. And by the grace of God, we know our sins are forgiven. Christ rose from the grave. He's coming back, and we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's real communion. So I just want to take a moment for all of us. We can be quiet before the Lord. I'll be quiet. I, will, I won't say another word for another minute. This is your time with God. Talk to God. Listen if you want. Talk. Sit. Whatever you want to do. And then we'll, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you, Father, that no prayer goes unanswered. Thank you that your love is faithful and steadfast and endures forever. Thankful that your grace is sufficient, that there is no other means of salvation other than what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's living in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that each day is a brand new day of worship and service, that we are who we are in Christ. We will not succumb to temptations that come our way. We will not give up in worshiping and serving you, seeking your face. We know that, Lord God, Satan would like to take us down and ruin our attitudes and maybe diminish our self-esteem in Christ to doubt maybe even our salvation. But Lord, we come back to where we began. You saved us. It was your call. And we thank you, God, that you've called us to believe. And thank you for your patient work in all of us. Maybe we came over a long period of time. Maybe we came to faith and believe just recently. Maybe, Lord God, we're still searching. But you are patient. You are at work. You are Kairos time. Help us to recognize it and to live into it and to embrace it. You are God. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, here we celebrate communion by coming into the middle in two rows, coming down out of the balcony, uh, coming down, go to either side. There's bread and then there's the cup. Take the bread, eat that, and then take the cup and drink. And then there's a receptacle on each end you can drop the cup into. Mm -hmm. If you need uh, gluten-free or nearly so bread, there's this right here on the center table. You can help yourself to that as well. Is there anybody here who needs communion brought to you? I want to make sure everybody gets served. Okay, I'll bring communion to you. Anybody else? All right, as you're ready, come. I 
Christ's body broken for you. And since you two are the two, why don't you go ahead and just drink right from there. You're welcome. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I hear the God bless you. Thy strength indeed is
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever, forever and ever. And all of God's people could say, Amen. God bless you. Uh, come on down to the fellowship hall, have some goodies, and then at 1145, meet in the fireside room. We'll have a great, great ministry sharing time together.